Welcome back to another episode of Independent Thought. My name is Desmond Price. For today's episode, I am joined by Sabrina Salvati, the host of the Savvy Savs podcast. Sabrina, thank you for coming on the show today. How are you doing? Thanks so much for having me on. I'm doing great. Perfect. Well, I've been watching your YouTube channel for, I would say about like six, seven months at this point now. I, I don't even know how I originally stumbled upon it, but I've been impressed with just like how you go about doing your coverage, interacting with people online. And I've been seeing you growing over time. So I was hopeful to reach out to you and get you to come on the show today. So I'm thankful that you're here. Whenever I have a fellow podcaster come on the show, the first thing I always want to do is just kind of ask them about what was like the motivation behind starting their podcast. So what was yours and what was your like political awakening, I guess, like what made you want to get into politics in general? Right. So um, a lot of people may not realize this, but I actually majored in broadcast journalism in undergrad as well as English. So originally that's what I went to school for and that's what I wanted to do for a career. Had a couple internships here and there in TV stations like local TV. Um, there wasn't much job wise there when I graduated from undergrad. I was getting like job offers. I remember one in particular wanted to offer me $8 an hour. <laughs> and I was like, I can't pay my rent with $8 an hour. So I didn't end up going into that, but the economy was bad and like the arts were really hit. So I ended up going into healthcare and then eventually education. So I kind of fell back on education for a while. So I always wanted to have my own show. Uh, I think in reference to political awakening, definitely Bernie Sanders really woke me up. Uh, he started to get me to think about things that I kind of wasn't thinking about at the time, or I kind of knew that the healthcare system had issues, but I felt like he opened the door to issues with the healthcare system that I kind of not was not aware of in reference to the funding, where the money comes from. So he really woke me up, so to speak. And at that point in time, I was frustrated with Barack Obama's presidency. I thought Obama was going to be the one that really came in and bring change to the country. He ran on like, yes, we can. And after Obama, I just found myself feeling politically lost. Uh, obviously, I wasn't conservative. At the same time, I was a part of the Democratic Party, but I didn't feel like anyone in the Democratic Party was really trying to help the American people at that point. So I felt a little bit lost, kind of like independent, so to speak. So when Bernie came around, I was like, wow, like this is what I've been waiting for. Someone who really is going to start some type of a movement. Uh, Bernie referred to it as a revolution, you know, oftentimes. And so I 100% got behind Bernie Sanders and really believed in his message. I met a lot of people along the way that were canvassing for Bernie Sanders, a lot of us going to his rallies, canvassing for progressive members of the squad as well. So that's really what woke me up. And I think for me, as someone that was an educator, I just, I like to educate people. And I think one of the things I learned along the way is that I don't have to necessarily teach at a school in order to educate people. So I decided to combine my broadcast journalism experience and my educator experience together and create my own platform. Okay. And you know, it's interesting that you kind of like track the, the, uh, the 
being awakened by Bernie after being disappointed by Obama. I have a very similar story. I first got politically activated, I guess, I think in 08, you know, the run time that a lot of people did from Barack Obama ascending to the presidency. And then over the course of his presidency, I got disengaged because I just felt like every promise that I, you know, like that I really cared about things like, you know, getting out of the Middle East and shutting down Guantanamo Bay, rescinding the Patriot Act, they were all just thrown to the wayside. Uh, Bernie kind of reignited the same thing in me. So it's interesting to see a similar trajectory, but I'm sure it's a lot of people's trajectory. And when I look at the political landscape right now, it seemed as though a lot of the issues that we were talking about in 2016, we're still talking about. To, to that effect, when you look at our political landscape right now, somebody who talks about politics all the time, what is the most important issue for you right now that's happening in the country? Oh, dear. I I'm going to make a tie here. <laughs> I would have to say like healthcare is a big one um, and also student loan debt. And I think those are two things that Joe Biden can do by executive order. He can give everyone universal health care and he can cancel student loan debt. Uh, but he's been very clear about the fact that he's not going to go in that direction. And I think considering the fact that we just had this pandemic in this country, the healthcare situation is incredibly dire. And so when there was this, this campaign for force the vote, I really expected more people to come on board for that. I expected like all of left independent media to join and say, yes, we need to press them to do this. So I was kind of so, like surprised, I guess, that there was a split there. That was kind of when for me, I woke up to maybe some of these people may not be willing to fight the way that I thought they would. So that was when I split from TYT, basically. Hmm. Um, but I really, really had hope there. I thought that some of these progressive members, I didn't expect all of them to show up to the force the vote town hall, but I expected maybe one or two will possibly make an appearance and they didn't. And I think for me, that really was a huge disappointment in reference to the squad. Now, we can debate over whether or not the timing was right and if they had enough time, but that actual strategy comes straight from the DSA handbook. And some of the progressive squad members are DSA members. So I was actually surprised they weren't willing to take that, that strategy from DSA and actually put it into action. And then that was when I started to see that they have kind of gone along with corporate Democrats. And ever since then, they've been voting along with them. They're not really fighting back. They're not pushing the way that they said that they would, like when they were running, for, for instance. And so I think there's a lot of disappointment that's going around right now, like on the left. We just feel kind of lost in a sense that we put the we put these progressives into office because they were going to be the opposite of the corporate Democrats, and they're not. And so I think one of the reasons why you have someone like Joe Biden, who he's not implementing universal health care or canceling student loan debt, is because they're not providing that type of pressure like the Tea Party did. They're not providing that type of pressure onto Joe Biden, onto Nancy Pelosi, onto Chuck Schumer, some of these leaders that are in D.C., that's a big part of the problem. And honestly, at this point, I don't think that they're going to. I think that there's been information released that they've been threatened. Uh, Corey Bush has a primary coming up. From what I've seen, that's going to be a tough race. Some of them are afraid they're going to lose their seats or there's going to be dark money thrown in, just like it was with Nina Turner. Um, but 
I don't think they're, they're, they're going to fight for us. And so what we tend to tell people over at Revolutionary Blackout Network is that we have to find a way to help each other. And that's where direct action comes in. That's where mutual aid comes in. We have to count on the people in our community, because I think if you look at a group like the Black Panthers, that was something they realized a long time ago, that the government was not going to help people in the community. So they decided to do it themselves. And I think that's we need to focus more on mutual aid and direct action. I'd say 80% of that and maybe 20% on electoral politics. But right now, I think trying to get some type of action out of D.C. is going to be tough unless it has some type of corporate interest. Well, I think that ties in kind of perfectly to the next question I wanted to ask you. Um, it might even be the answer to the next question. Anyway, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask it nonetheless. Uh, I am seeing a lot of political apathy in our country right now. Uh, just people who are checking out for one reason or another. I'm sure that I could probably project my own reasons onto it, but I think everyone kind of has like their own different reason for why they're kind of taking a backseat with politics right now. But from your personal perspective, why do you think there is so much political apathy in the country right now? And like, do you think it can be overcome or how do you think it'll be, it can be overcome? I think there's a lot of disappointment with Joe Biden's presidency because he made a lot of promises when he was running. Uh, at the same time, you have progressives that also said they were going to try to push him left. I didn't think that would be possible, per se, like because I just just looking at Joe Biden's history as a politician. But I expected him at least to try to try to fight. And I think the pandemic really woke a lot of people up. And this is not to say that we didn't have economic problems in this country. We did. We had problems with homelessness. We had problems with healthcare system. We've had problems with the class system in this country as well, but I think when the pandemic came and there were some states that shut down the businesses, my state shut down, and so people lost their jobs and some of those businesses had to close, like the smaller businesses per se, I think that that really pulled the cover off of just how bad the economic situation is for people in this country, especially people who are working class and people who are poor. And now we see with inflation and with high gas prices, grocery store prices are also high as well. Even people who are middle class are now also affected by the economy. There is one person right now who's the president of the United States, and that's Joe Biden. The Democrats have the House and they have the Senate. And we've seen them send money abroad to Ukraine, $40 billion, but they can't give money to the American people. They couldn't even give everybody those $2,000 stimulus checks, which Joe Biden promised. So I think that people, just talking to people around me, people that actually don't watch left independent media, the sentiment seems to be the same, that we are being taken for granted. Uh, someone told me the other day, they don't know how they're going to get to work because they can't afford the gas. And yet we're continuing to see our government give money to another country. So they are showing us that the money is there, but they don't want to give that money for to us, to the American people. So right now people are financially strapped unless you are wealthy. And I think everyone's feeling that pain, right? Whether you're a Democrat, Republican, or independent, if you're a middle-class, working-class, or poor, you're all feeling that pain right now. So I think that's part of the reason why people have that political apathy right now. You know, it's it, it feels like it's tied to so many different issues. And, and obviously, you know, like people, things that you were just referencing is definitely part of the equation. You know, the the monetary stress that people are feeling right now and coupled with the promises that were made, they're just not lining up. And it, it's also what do you like look at the recent events that we still had going on as well? 
because people see horrific things like the shootings in Buffalo and Uvalde. And they ask themselves like, why can't anything be done? Like maybe you can't solve the whole problem, but why can't anything be done? And when, and as of right now, nothing has done, nothing has happened. So in pertaining to this news story, uh, shooting in Buffalo, shooting in Uvalde, gun reform is on the is on the docket again as far as the national conversation is concerned but we're not sure if congress is going to do anything about it do you think there should be gun reform and if so like what does that look like in your mind if if you had any like level of control over the situation i think i saw uh, earlier today they just passed legislation in the house but even if it passes in the house the problem is going to be in the senate that's that's the problem you're going to run into right so I think we have a couple of problems here. We have Democrats in D.C. that are operating like conservatives. For example, uh, Henry Quayler, he's a perfect example. He actually voted against this legislation. Uh, He's also anti-abortion, but he's Democrat, right? So we already know that the Republicans are going to go against certain issues that Democrats support. But it's another thing when you have Democrat politicians there that also are going to go against these policies that the Democrats want to support. So essentially, you have people in the Democratic Party in D.C. working against the Democratic Party. That's also Kirsten Sinema. That's also Joe Manchin. But they're merely just rotating villains. If it wasn't them and when it's not them, it's the Senate parliamentarian. Uh, When you clearly have someone like Kamala Harris who is supposed to be the tiebreaker, she deferred to the Senate parliamentarian. So there's always going to be a rotating villain. And I think that Glenn Greenwald, he talks about that a lot. He explains like, there's always someone under Obama. It was Joe Lieberman. Just they have to point to someone to not be able to pass these legislation. So they have to have some type of excuse. And I think that when it comes to gun reform in this country, we are, we're in trouble with this one because There's so much money involved from weapons manufacturers, from organizations like the NRA. So many politicians are in bed with the NRA. So you already know nine times out of 10, they're going to vote against it. And that's a big part of the problem. And this all goes back to getting money out of politics. That's why that's so important. We need to end things like Citizens United. And I think as long as you have these corporations and these organizations attached to these politicians, it's going to be hard for them to pass anything that benefits the American people. They usually pass legislation that benefits corporations. So I don't know where this is going to go, but I do have a feeling when it shows up in the Senate, I don't think it's going to pass there. I could be wrong. Maybe they'll surprise me. But if it doesn't pass in the Senate, then what do you do? Then we're back to square one. I mean, how many school shootings, how many mass shootings have to happen in this country every year for them to actually do something about gun reform? And I don't think this should be a state issue. From what I understand, I have to go back and look at this, but Texas, their laws tend to be a little bit more lenient when it comes to gun ownership. So this is what happens sometimes when you leave it up to the states. Uh, So hopefully it does pass in the Senate, but I I wouldn't count on it at this point. People are, are, you know, rightfully feeling frustrated. Uh, unfortunately, some people are taking their frustration to an extreme, which I don't recommend. You know, as we heard that the news just a couple of days ago, or maybe it was even yesterday about the gunmen who went to go find uh, Supreme Justice, Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh, tried to uh, approach his residence. Uh, he was arrested. 
you know, a lot of people are frustrated just in general, not just with, you know, obviously with the gun issue, but also with the Supreme Court. Uh, they seem poised to potentially overturn Roe v. Wade, according to the leaked documents that came out in May earlier, just a month or so ago. What, what are your thoughts on, on this issue about the Supreme Court potentially overturning Roe? Uh, do, a lot of people have argued that this should be a, an issue left up to the states. W- what is your stance on that? I don't think it should be left up to the states because what's going to happen is that some states are going to be more restrictive than others. And so I'll give you an example. You could have a state like Louisiana. Their abortion laws may say you're not allowed to have an abortion after one month. Who knows how far they'll go? So then if you live in Louisiana Louisiana, and you want to have an abortion, what are you going to do? You're going to travel out of state, right? They can actually put in a law that says if you leave the state to have an abortion and you come back into the state, you will be criminalized. And, and this is the fear of leaving it up to the states. And having lived in the South before, I can go ahead and tell you their laws are more strict when it comes to these types of things. So I think it's also a, a monetary issue as well, because when you think about abortion, the people who are really going to be affected are women who are working class and women who are poor. Not everyone can afford to just travel to go have an abortion. Like Rich people can, wealthy people can. So what's going to happen to that group of women? If you look back to what has happened in the past, even when abortion was not legal in this country, women still had abortions. They just didn't do it in the safe way. And that's my fear is that people are going to go back to that. They'll resort back to that, still having abortions, not in a safe manner and putting their own health at at risk. So I think when we think about the leaked document per se, I even wonder if that was if that wasn't intentional. And the reason why I say that this is a perfect issue right now for the Democratic Party to run on, given it's a midterm year. And they knew this was coming and they had plenty of time to codify Roe v. Wade into law. They could have done this under Barack Obama, but he made a speech saying that it was not going to be a priority. That was in 2009. In 2017, Nancy Pelosi made a speech saying that, again, Roe v. Wade was not going to be a priority. And here we are now. So I blame the Democrats just as much as the Republicans. I know a lot of people just want to blame the Republicans on this, but we always knew where they stood on abortion. Why did we have Democrat leaders who also held this up? who prevented this from being codified into law. So I kind of wonder if they just kept this as a card in their back pocket so they could pull it out when they really need it to get elected. And this is the perfect year because the Democrats are pretty much set to be destroyed in the midterms come November. Joe Biden's poll numbers are terrible. They keep going down. They're just not doing well. And I think this is what they're going to use to fearmonger voters and say, you have to vote for us. Otherwise, the Republicans are going to take your rights away. What I want voters to understand is that the Democrats are just as much as responsible because they put this off every time they got the opportunity to codify it into law. So I think we need to blame both parties here, Um, but we'll we'll see what happens. But I just don't, this just all seems like a game to me. The more research I do and the more I'm involved in political reporting, politics, at least in DC, it just seems like a game. You know, it's kind of hard to argue with that. I've recently 
done my own episodes on just, in fact, just this issue that you're referring to about how they put it off for, for years. They had the opportunities, had a supermajority in the Senate in 2009, did not act on it. So there is plenty of blame to go around when it comes to the Democrats. And, and you're right, the Republicans have always told us flat out what they wanted to do. So it's not like they didn't, you know, basically tell us this was going to be their agenda. But with that being said, we're gonna take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll have more questions with Sabrina. Stay tuned. Betty's Divine is a locally owned boutique on the magnificent hip strip in downtown Missoula, Montana that has been a fixture in the Mountain West since 2005. We have a fondness for vintage inspired clothing, shoes and accessories for humans, as well as the real deal found in our vintage department, Divine Trash. Betty's Divine presents a snapshot of Northwest styles with an emphasis on street, skate, surf and rock and roll culture, as well as Americana classics. Alongside a radical selection of clothing, Betty's Divine offers a damn fine array of shoes, jewelry, records, and accessories to satisfy any taste, whatever your age or vibe. You can count on us to prioritize financial, social, and environmental responsibility without sacrificing the look. Visitors enjoy a lovely atmosphere, dreamy tunes, and the best customer service in the West. And you can shop us online at Betty'sDivine.com. thought listeners has this past year helped you rediscover your creative and crafty side well then you're going to love our sponsor for today's episode bathing beauties beads is a full service bead shop in the heart of downtown missoula whether it's seed beads semi-precious stones vintage beads or just materials to make a project they have something for every person and every price range not from missoula don't worry they have an extensive online store and they will ship directly to you Whether you're a beginner or a pro, they'll welcome you and help you make your next project a reality. You can find them online at Bathing Beauties Beads on Instagram and Facebook or at BathingBeautiesBeads.com. And don't forget to use offer code INDEPENDENTTHOUGHT at checkout to save 15% on your order. Welcome back from the break, everyone. Thank you for sticking with us through this episode of Independent Thought. So before we went on the break, we were talking about different issues, you know, the gun issue, uh, the Supreme Court potentially overturning Roe v. Wade. But I kind of want to take a step back from the issues for a little bit and get a little more personal with you. Uh, when it comes to politics in general, how would you like define yourself politically as someone on the left, someone on the right, someone in the center? Like, like where do you like fall as on the political spectrum? I'm on the left, but I'm further on the left than Bernie Sanders, I would say. So if I had to give myself a label, I would call myself a socialist. Um, okay. So that's that's pretty much where where I lean. And I've, I wasn't always this far on the left. I've moved further left. Like, honestly, after Bernie Sanders, I moved further, further left. So why was that? Like, like what led up to you wanting to move further left onto the spectrum? The economy. I, it's, it's just a big part of it. Just the more research I've done, especially since I've been in independent media space, I do a lot of research. The more research I've done, the more I see just how many of these corporations in reference to funding, who they support. And they're kind of sneaky about it too, because Sunrise Movement, progressive organization, environmental organization, but they take money from George Soros. So it's finding out things like that. Uh, Justice Democrats, 
that I was very supportive of before also takes billionaire money now. So it, it just, there's a lot of corruption with some of these organizations. Uh, the Working Families Party, actually, uh, shout out to uh, Amani. Uh, she just lost her race in New Jersey, in Montclair, yeah. New Jersey, but she was a progressive that was running. She actually brought this to my attention on Twitter that the Working Families Party is endorsing corporate Democrats, and they're supposed to endorse the progressive Democrats. So the more I see just how much the money has infiltrated progressive spaces, that just pushed me further to the left. So I want to try to be as far away from that as possible. And so that's why, like, there have been companies that have offered, like, sponsorships, and I just ignore them. I get those emails all the time, and I ignore it because I know what happens when you start to take that money. So let me ask you, uh, like, a philosophical question. I I'd love to just get you to pick your brain on this one. Is it really an issue if, say, like, let's say, like, what we just used the example of the Sunrise Movement, Just Democrats, isn't it an issue if they take the money, but they still like message the way that you would want them to message, vote the way that they want them to vote? Does it matter if they're doing the same thing they said they were going to do if they take the money or if they take the money from these from these corporations or billionaires? Does that just basically just cancel out any good faith you might have with someone? That cancels out any good faith for me because the message is one thing. A lot of people have a good message when they're running for office. But the question is, what do they do when they get in? And I think that's what we saw with, we've seen with members of the squad, right? Like they said they were going to do all these things, but they're just going along with the corporate Democrats. So that's the problem. Like you shouldn't have people like Ilhan Omar shouldn't be taking direct payments from George Soros. That's a no, no. Like that's what they ran on. The fact that they were grassroots and somehow money has infiltrated them as well. So I think it's disturbing. It's it's really disturbing to me. What I've been advocating for people to do is that if you do want to vote to focus on third party and independent candidates, I think 2024, this presidential election, this will be the time to really wake up the Democratic Party because Joe Biden's polling really low. Uh, we don't want another Trump again, right? But Joe Biden's not doing a good job. The Democratic Party is not doing a good job right now. So I think that would really be the time to wake up the Democratic Party. Hey, we have this third party candidate. Maybe if it was Jesse Ventura, like maybe if he he ran this time, he actually has a, a great approval rating among people and he's popular and everyone knows him. So if you had someone like Jesse Ventura run, that would really wake up the Democratic Party because he's not someone that's trying to be corrupt. And so the idea is not necessarily that that third party candidate has to come in and win. The idea is that they take votes away from the Democratic Party so much to the point that it really wakes them up and they realize, wait a minute, we're actually going to have to do something for the people if we want to win again. Right. OK, so going back to the issues a little bit here, I kind of want to ask something. We had references in the first half of the episode, the war in Ukraine, and we we're talking about how much money had gone over to there and I mean, it, it's an exorbitant amount of money. I think it's actually like more than $50 billion at this point total between the multiple packages they've sent over. What are your thoughts on the war in Ukraine and, and I guess the U.S.'s involvement in it? Has it been, was it, do you understand like, I guess like what our motivation was for getting involved or do you think it was a mistake from the beginning or like where do you land on this issue? From what I understand, this started eight years ago. The conflict started eight years ago. But the United States is involved because there's a pipeline involved uh, for people who are not aware. It's called the Nord 2 pipeline. And of course, there has to be resources involved. That's usually why we get involved. 
because there's something, either there's resources that we need or there's resources that we already have invested in and this could threaten that, right? So I just feel like when it comes to this conflict, I don't feel like there's one side at fault over the other. I feel like all three countries are to blame, the United States, Russia, and Ukraine. Uh, to be to be honest with people, I think when you look at the funding issue, there doesn't seem to be that support when I look at countries abroad where there's people of color. There's the United States not trying to fund Somalia. Joe Biden is bombing people in Somalia. They're not trying to fund people in Yemen. They're not trying to fund people in Afghanistan. They're starving people in Afghanistan because of the sanctions put on by the United States government. So it just seems like to me, it's only when it's a European country. Now, people may argue, well, why Ukraine and not Russia? Russia is more powerful than Ukraine. When you look at these countries that can pretty much make it on their own, outside of the United States, you have Russia and you have China. And this is why there's a lot of rhetoric, a lot of fear mongering towards China. They'll be next, by the way. I really do believe they'll be next. The United States government doesn't want any country to pass the United States government and wealth and power, they want to police the entire world. So they have spent decades destroying other countries abroad through imperialism, taking their resources. Some of these countries that we call third world countries, they're actually rich in resources. And the United States just, they take resources from them. You see the same thing happening right now with Ethiopia. They're trying to get involved over there. They're trying to like meddle into Cuba again. So that is what has been happening over the years. They want to, I guess, suppress the other countries so that the United States government remains the most powerful in the world. So countries like China and countries like Russia are a threat to the United States government because they're, they've been able so far, they're doing pretty well on their own. For example, China doesn't really need us, but we do need China, that we're heavily dependent on China. And so that's where a lot of this conflict comes from. But what I want people to know is there is a pipeline that is involved. And that's part of that. That pipeline is supposed to push through gas and there's oil involved. So that's why you, the U.S. is going to help out Ukraine and they're not going to help out uh, Russia. Now, I don't know as much about it as some other people. Like some people can go really detailed into this, right? But that's kind of the gist of it. Uh, my other issue with it was the fact that here we had the Azov Battalion. They're literally Nazis. And the United States government was trying to make excuses for funding Nazis. And I'm just thinking to myself, like, how do we get back here? And the American people are so brainwashed. They just believe anything mainstream media says. They don't do any research for themselves to look into this battalion. And which, by the way, they've now removed the Nazi symbol because I guess they realized people were starting to say something about that. But that's what they were doing. But what I've heard on mainstream media is that they're blaming it all on Russia and just faulting Russia. And that's not necessarily the case. Ukraine is not innocent in this. What people need to know is that if NATO did not expand, we wouldn't be in this situation to begin with, which they were not supposed to do after the fall of the Berlin Wall. That's what has prompted a lot of this. So the United States government knew that this was happening. They didn't intervene back then. They waited until things escalated, and here we are. Okay. You know, when I, when I have seen your, 
your audience. I've been, you know, like in your comment section a couple of times while you've been, while you've been live streaming, I will actually more than a couple of times, but it, it seems as though that you have a very diverse audience as far as I guess you would say ideology is concerned. It seems like there are people all over the political spectrum who watch your show. What is it that you think uh, is like a, a unifying issue for people? Cause you're constantly interacting with your audience, taking questions, taking calls, you know, you're, you're very engaged with them. Across the board, what do you think is a unifying issue right now for people, I guess, who watch your show, or maybe just in general, like what you believe is a unifying issue for people in this country? Definitely class. Uh, when I talk about news stories, I try to I try to do it with every story, but it doesn't always work out that way. But I try to relate it back to class. Um, why is the United States government doing this thing instead of doing this? because of the class issue. And I think that's the issue that brings a lot of people together, regardless if they're conservative. So there are some people that watch me and they'll comment and say, I'm conservative. I don't agree with you on all the issues, but I like the fact that you talk about class. So that's, that's my goal is to bring people together over the class issue so that we can focus on, listen, if you're not a part of the top 1%, you're really kind of being screwed over here. And we should be fighting back and pushing back against that. And that's something that Bernie Sanders, by the way, he taught me that. <laughs> he brought that to my attention. So I, I wish more people would talk about that more because I do feel like ever since Bernie suspended his campaign 2020, I felt like people stopped focusing on that. Like, no, what happened to you? We're the 99%, right? And that also came out of the Occupy movement. So I think that's a big part of it is that I try to get people to focus on the class issue and the reason why we're not getting the things that we should get in this country. And we need to focus on the fact that there's a reason why we don't have health care for everyone in this country. There's a reason why we don't have free public college or free community college. It's, it's a class divide. And that's what I try to bring the focus back to for people. You know, that's it, it, interesting that you kind of like talking about the solidarity that people are feeling between like uh, one another right now, because we're constantly being told that we are a very divided nation. And, and I think in a lot of ways we are, but you know, like what's lost in that conversation is where we're not divided. And, and right. so I feel like that needs to come back to the forefront more and more and more and more, because there are issues that we do agree on that should be highlighted more and more by the mainstream media or just, or even by the independent media, even the independent media, I see, I feel as though is constantly being bogged down into culture wars. And so right. that that gets really disheartening after a while because we should be trying to focus on where we do have common ground, my personal opinion. But speaking in a more positive mindset, and this is my final question for you. Has there been uh, a piece of news recently or a recent event that has kind of like left you, I guess, more hopeful about our political landscape going forward? Hmm. Oh, boy. I know a positive question, right? I know, I know. Um, I'd have to go with, you know, I'd have to go with Shama Sawant. I think that her being able to beat her recall in Seattle, that was a huge win. Uh, they threw so much money at her Amazon through hundreds Could you explain and hundreds just really quickly who she is and what she was facing? Yes, uh, Shama Sawant. So she is the city councilor for Seattle. Uh, she did not run through the Democratic Party. So this is a big thing about her. She is a socialist. She ran outside the two-party system and she won. And okay. this past year, 
they tried to present a recall against her, which to remove her from office. Um, she was an activist first. And I think that's one of the things I really like about her. Even though she won as city councilor, she didn't stop her activism. So she helped actually, yes, she helped activists in Seattle win the fight for $15 an hour. So she was a part of that movement, uh, even though she was in office. So she's one of those people that is very active on the ground with activists. She's a part of Socialist Alternative, which if those of you listening, if you want to do something where you're getting more involved, like you want to pay attention to electoral politics, but you actually want to actively go out and, and get involved in events on the ground, I recommend joining Socialist Alternative because they actually do things. And I say this because I met people that have been a part of DSA and they're like, like it's just focused on political, political races and they, they actually want to do some type of activism. So Socialist Alternative in, is different in that respect. So I, I would recommend that, but she kind of is like a, a, a beacon, so to speak. So Chris Hedges has talked to Shama Sawant. Uh, she came onto my activism panel. She will tell you that the road for a progressive through the Democratic Party leads to a graveyard. And she's been saying that for a while. And I think if you look at the squad and how they've been, I think that's a perfect example because you may win, you may get in, but when you're there, there's all these different forces against you to stop you from making any type of progress. Or if you do try to make progress, then they threaten you. They're going to remove a committee assignment or they're going to put someone in a race to primary challenge you. So you lose. So it's like you have to play their game. But the thing about Shama Sawan is that she showed people that she cannot be bought. Now, that's a local race. But I would argue that local politics is more important than national politics. And I say that because someone like her, the people in the community, they know her. She's there. She's on the ground. Like they work with her. The other thing about her, she doesn't accept her full salary. She only accepts a portion of it and she donates the rest to activist causes and organizations. So who else is doing that? And I think that would be something I would like to see some of the more progressive politicians do. Donate some of their salary to help activists on the outside, because that's really where the energy and motivation is going to come from on the outside. It's not going to come through DC. And I think that's something I would have liked to seen Bernie Sanders do after he suspended his campaign. He has millions of followers. Why not start some type of movement on the outside to keep that pressure on the politicians? That's because he's still a politician in DC. So he knows the limitations that, that there is that comes with that position. And I think the great thing about Shama Sawant, she realizes that too. And that's why she didn't run through the two-party system. So I think if there's something that would really give me hope politically, it would be Shama Sawant. Okay. Well, Sabrina, I really do thank you for coming on the show today, uh, coming on and just talking to me about these issues. Uh, for those who are interested in learning more about you or following your channel, uh, where can people find you at online? Yes. So you can find me on YouTube. My channel name is Savvy Sabs. I'm also on Rockfin and Rumble, same name. And you can find me on Twitter at Savvy Sabs 2, the number two. All right, everyone. If you are interested in following along, I will have those links in the episode description. I want to thank Sabrina for coming on the show today. Uh, hopefully you will all go check out her channel and follow her on Twitter. We're going to take one final break and we'll be right back with my final thoughts of the day. Stay tuned. Break. 
Welcome back from the break, everyone. Thank you for sticking with us through this episode of Independent Thought. I first want to thank my guest for this week, Sabrina Salvati, who is the host of the Sappy Sabs podcast on YouTube. Thank you so much for dropping by and giving us the chance to hear your thoughts on several issues that are going on in our country right now. As I kind of mentioned in the episode itself, I first came across uh, Sabrina's podcast a few months back. I've been kind of following ever since then. I don't agree with um, Sabrina on every issue that she talks about, but I think that it's, you know, one of the things that I would like to do with this podcast going forward, you know, and something that I've been trying to do in the past as well, is just having different perspectives on here for people to listen to, especially when it comes to guests who I bring on the podcast. I think it would be imperative so that every voice that you hear on this show doesn't always mirror the exact same viewpoints. I just think it's a, in a time where we're living in right now, where it feels as though people are kind of bottled into hearing the same viewpoints over and over and over again. One of the things that I would like to do is have on different perspectives, addressing different issues. And so that's one of the things I would like to do. I do have certain things that I agree with her on and other things I do not. Uh, but either way, I appreciated her coming on and talking about the issues with me here uh, for this week's episode. Uh, as far as episodes looking forward to the future, we're going to have quite a few coming out over the next couple of weeks. So make sure that you are subscribed so that you do not miss them. If you want to support the show, please go ahead and sign up with our Patreon. That is the best way to support the show. Uh, all donations go into making the show a better product for the future. So please consider doing that if you are able to. And again, a huge thank you to everyone who is already a member of our Patreon. Uh, just final thoughts for this episode and for this week. There's a lot of news going on right now. And I also have a birthday coming up, so I might not be able to cover everything going on in the world right now. I've been a little distracted this month, but going to do my best to kind of keep everyone as informed as I possibly can. Also, be sure that you are following on Instagram and Twitter, where I give takes here and there about what's going on in the world as I'm kind of sifting it through my own experiences with what's going on in the world right now. Thank you to everyone for checking out this episode. We will see you in the next one.